Today we shall continue with our explorations of Dhammanupasnatna, Satipatthana, a mindful contemplation of Dhammas. Now, as you know well, remember from previous Satna discourses, the Buddha mentions five items under Dhammanupasana Satipatthana. The first one is a mindful contemplation of hindrances. The second one is a mindful contemplation of the five what? Aggregates. And then we have a contemplation of the six spheres, same spheres. And Satna then as Satna, the next one, we have a mindful contemplation of the seven enlightenment factors. And the last one, the last item, is a mindful contemplation of the four noble truths. Now, the instruction Satna that Satna, the Buddha has Satna given with regard to the four noble truths are very simple, to the point. Namely, one knows as it really is, this is Dukkha. One knows as it really is, this is the arising of Dukkha. One knows as it really is, this is the cessation of Dukkha. And one knows as it really is, this is the way leading to the cessation of Dukkha. Now, first, let us take a closer look at the Pali term Dukkha. In Sanskrit, Satna known as Duksha. What is the meaning of Satna this term? Now, if we go by the Sanskrit, then the words, the Pali term Dukkha consists of the ka in Sanskrit meaning an axle hole of a wheel and then in Sanskrit du or dus which translates as difficulty or badness. When we combine those two parts, namely do and ka, and in English a whole of uh, or, or difficulty and uh, near the axle hole of a wheel, yeah, then this literally yeah, may be interpreted to mean an axle that is not fitting properly into its hole. So, in other words, disharmony or friction. A second interpretation of Fatna, the Sanskrit Satna term Duksha is there 
namely al, the partner of the Sanskrit sta, meaning standing or abiding, and certainly the do is as certainly given earlier, on difficulty or badness. Hence, when we combine these two, now then the meaning of the Sanskrit term duksha would be standing badly or uneasiness, being uncomfortable. In other words, unsatisfactoriness or uh, suffering. Now, the Visuddhi Magga in section 494 states with regard to Dukkha that Ka is certain of the part Ka is related to space, Akasa, in certain hints an absence of permanence, beauty, happiness, and self. Now, even though the four, or even though the term dukkha appears in the formulation of the four noble truths, in every uh, case, yet one should not jump to an early conclusion that the Buddha's teachings are all about Dukkha and only about certain Dukkha. Now, a discourse given in the 56th certain collection of the Samyutta Nikaya discourse near 35 and there of the 5th states states the Buddha as saying to his monastic disciples I do not say that the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by suffering or displeasure. Rather, the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by happiness and joy. And what for the Noble Truth of Suffering the noble truth of the origin of fitness suffering, then the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, and the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. Now, the Four Noble Truths, the synthesis of the Four Noble Truths could be expressed as Satna follows, namely, the first truth teaches that all forms of existence whatsoever are unsatisfactory and Satna subject to suffering. The second certain truth, in short, states or teaches that all suffering and all rebirth is produced by craving. And the third noble truth briefly stated says certain event, certain cessation of craving is uh, uh, or results in the cessation of certain rebirth and certain suffering. And finally, 
it's certainly the Eightfold Noble Path that uh, indicates the means by which you know, to uh, gain uh, or bring about cessation of suffering. Now, the first noble truth, namely the truth of suffering, dukkha ariyatna, such in the Pali scriptural language, as certainly expressed by the Buddha himself in the Dhammachakapavatana uh, Sutta, so the discourse on the, the setting in motion the wheel of Fatna Dhamma. And this discourse can be found in the 56th collection of discourses in the Samyutta Nikaya. Uh, it's discourse number 11. So there it certainly says, Now this, O monastics, is the noble truth of suffering. Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, illness is suffering, death is suffering, union with what is displeasing is suffering, separation from what is pleasing is suffering, not to get what certain one wants is suffering. In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. Now, since certainly the emphasis of the first certain noble truth is on dukkha, on uh, suffering, it certainly might help for it, or it might be useful to provide certainly some more background on this Pali term Dukkha. The Buddha, again in the Samyutta Nikaya, its 45th collection, speaks of three kinds of suffering, namely suffering due to pain, dukkha dukkata, then suffering due to formations, sankara dukkata, and as number three, suffering due to change, viparinama dukkata, in the Paditna scriptural language. Now, The first type, suffering due to pain, refers to the bodily or mental feeling of pain as actually felt. Then suffering due to you know, formations, Sankhara Dukkata refers to the oppressive nature of all formations of existence due to their continual arising and passing away. And this also includes experiences associated with neutral feeling. And the third certain form of suffering, suffering in change, viparinama, dukkha, refers to bodily and mental pleasant feelings because they are the cause for the arising of pain when they change. Now, would you say that 
the first noble truth in using the term dukkha or suffering refers only to feeling, only to experiences that go along that are associated with an unpleasant feeling. Is that the meaning? The only meaning? Mary, you say no? Achan Kimako, you also say no? I say no. Okay. Any other opinions? Well, what you are saying is correct. So the truth of or, or yeah, the truth of suffering, in speaking of suffering, does not is not limited only to experiences that are accompanied by an unpleasant feeling. Now, the Buddha states and clarifies why he or, or uh, what he actually means by uh, dukkha and certain by you know, feelings. So the thirty-sixth collection of the Samyutta Nikaya, in its eleventh uh, discourse, says, "Whatever is felt." is included in suffering that has been stated by me and me here is Satna the Buddha with reference to the impermanence of formations so that has been stated by me with reference to formations being subjected to destruction so whatever is felt is included in suffering that has been said or stated by me with reference to formations being subject to vanishing, with reference to formations being subject to fading away, and then with reference to formations being subject to cessation and uh, with reference to formations being subject to change. Now, Venerable Bodhi in a footnote explains that the real reason all feeling is suffering is because, because all feeling is impermanent and thus cannot provide stable happiness and security. So when we sp the original meaning of Fatna Dukkha is not necessarily experiencing pains and aches and having difficult mental states but rather for the impermanent or uh, well, uh, due to the continuous change of formations due to the fact that formations are oppressed by um, by change, by you know, fading away, etc. Due to that, we speak of Fatna Dukkha. And the Majjhima Nikaya, in its certain third volume, you know, section 208, also you know, contains uh, a passage related to feelings 
and Satya there it is Satya said that it's due to the suffering inherent in all formations by reason of their impermanence that we speak of Satya suffering. Now, when you look at certainly the first certainly noble truth, you know, then you have but in some cases, you know, such as birth, aging, uh, illness, and certain death, that are you know, at least to some extent mm, ex physical experiences, bodily uh, experiences, painful uh, experiences, yet of course there is also a mental component to those same experiences. Now, this uh, suffering nature of Fatna formations applies to all formations applies to you know, the five aggregates subject Fatna to and clinging. Now this is quite certain a statement and the beginning you know, retreatant might certainly you know, find it hard you know, to subscribe you know, to you know, this uh, particular you know, statement. A beginning retreatant you know, will um, have you know, uh, on some occasions or many occasions you know, rather the pleasing um, desirable you know, experiences and may wonder how come that all you know, formations uh, are uh, suffering now when we actually do the mindfulness meditation practice, we will see for ourselves that indeed all formations, uh, condition formations, without certain exception, are um, uh, suffering. As long as certain craving is certain there. Now, the second noble truth is the noble truth of the origin of fatness suffering in the Pali scriptural language given as Dukkha Samudhya uh, Arya Satcha. And the Buddha has certainly recorded in the Dhamma Chakabhavatana Sutta states the following and speaking to the group of five ascetics. Now this is the noble truth of the origin of suffering. It is the craving that leads to renewed existence accompanied by delight and lust, seeking delight here and there, that is craving for sensual pleasures, kama tanha 
craving for existence, bhava tanha, and craving for extermination, we bhava tanha. Now, it is useful to make a distinction, namely between unsatisfactoriness and between sukha, uh, what am I saying, uh, uh, suffering. So distinction between unsatisfactoriness and suffering. The fact that certain formations are subject to impermanence, are oppressed by impermanence, this can be considered there, uh, can be considered uh, uns their unsatisfactoriness. However, out of craving, holding on to conditioned certain formations, and those certain same formations not necessarily being under our control, etc. This would be, uh, or uh, can be referred to as suffering. Now, this definition of suffering, however, applies to your ordinary ignorant worldlings. When an arahant experiences the constant change of formations, will he or she experience suffering or not? So Christina says no, you say? Suffering no. Suffering not. Dissatisfaction. Yes, correct. Mary, would you agree? Yes. So it is really helpful to make this distinction between that which is unsatisfactory and that which is suffering. And so to the unenlightened mind, to a person who has not yet gained the Dhamma, in particular uh, not gained arahanship but uh, yet mm, and certain, some, certain mental uh, defilements are still present in the stream of consciousness such a person will due to the craving due to the craving the clinging you know, to you know, formations will be experiencing you know, suffering an arahant who's gone beyond craving will simply experience formations as they occur and certainly the very impermanence of those sensations or formations is not, uh, uh, is not experienced as a form of suffering. So we can say that suffering is not inherent in the phenomena of the world, only in the way in which the unawakened mind experiences them. Unsatisfactoriness, however, is inherent in the phenomena of the world. And I'm quoting Venerable Bhikkhu Analayo with this. Now, the Buddha speaks uh, not 
only of uh, the existence of uh, Dukkha and certainly the origin of uh, Dukkha but also of uh, cessation of Dukkha and uh, a way leading uh, to that cessation of Dukkha. So with this, with this certain third, certain noble truth, there is hope that certain the suffering that we experience, that certain there is an end to that or a way out of that suffering. The third noble truth states, again quoting the Buddha as recorded in the Dhamma Chakabhautana Sutta, now this is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering. It is the remainderless fading away and cessation of that same craving. The giving up and relinquishing of it, freedom from it, non-reliance on it. Now, when it comes to these certain four noble truths, the first and the second noble truth can be understood, can be related to through thinking, through ordinary life experiences. But when it comes to the noble truth, the third noble truth of the cessation of suffering, is this something that you can understand by thinking, by logical thinking maybe, by philosophizing? Again, not. So this is something, this is, this as well as certainly the fourth noble truth, both of these have to be understood through direct experience. Now, nonetheless, when you hear the words of the third noble truth, now this is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, it is the remainderless fading away and cessation of that same craving, the giving up and relinquishing of it, namely of craving freedom from it, non-reliance on it. Now, when we actually practice, when we actually engage in a mindful contemplation of predominant formations as they occur naturally in the body and in the mind, we see their true nature again and again and again and again. We also see their flaws as you know, being subject to impermanence, subject to, you know, to you know, dukkha, and subject to anatta or non-self. And so, when we see those flaws, more and more so, what happens to the craving? What happens to the craving? Pardon me? You abandon it. You abandon it. Well, at least it will be weakened. The more we practice, the more this craving to for or for formations mm, will be weakened, and uh, 
it will be weakened on a temporary basis whenever we're mindful. And this, and it's only with the realization of noble path and fruition knowledge that at least for that, for those certain moments, uh, that uh, craving uh, will be um, abandoned uh, or relinquished. Now, human beings have a fabulous capacity to cling to, to hold on to the formations, physical or mental formations. Well, when it comes to desirable, agreeable formations, no one, it's easy to understand. But reality is such, or on top of that, reality is such that the mind even in the absence of other sensations, other objects, the mind will even cling to undesirable, disagreeable formations, just to make sure that there's always something for the sense of self to hold on to. So this clinging to formations is extremely strong. And that over time gets weakened until finally uh, the moment of the realization of the Dhamma comes and suddenly that can be described as um, a moment of letting go. The Venerable Saido Pandita has certainly given a beautiful illustration in this regard and an illustration which I have mentioned um, in an earlier Dhamma talk, namely that of launching a rocket into space, outer space. Now, in doing so, what has to be achieved? In doing so, what has to be overcome at first? To achieve escape velocity from gravity. There you go. One has to, or the, the rocket needs to overcome the gravitational forces that will pull it downwards towards uh, the earth. And so, so it takes a huge amount of energy you know, to launch um, a rocket into you know, the atmosphere and then eventually into outer space. Once it is in outer space, then it moves, it can move around uh, freely, free um, of uh, the uh, gravitational forces. So think of that illustration and it will help you uh, to uh, understand at least a little bit of uh, what might be, um, what uh, the Buddha is referring to here. Now, the fourth noble truth is the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering, Dukkha Niroda niroda, Gamini Patipada Ariya Satcha in the Pali scriptural language. Now, this is the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. It is the Noble Eightfold Path, that is right view, right thought, right uh, uh, speech, right action, right livelihood, and certainly then right uh, effort, um, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Now, again, 
to really deeply understand why this Eightfold Noble Path is all that important for the cessation of fatness suffering to occur becomes obvious only when a retreatant has has gained noble path and fruition knowledge. And then, only then, it starts making real sense. And then finally, one understands why it is so important to be established in ethical conduct and so the third, the fourth and the fifth path factors of the Eightfold Noble Path are just about sila, virtuous conduct. So, and to develop right speech, to abstain from false speech, to abstain from slandering or backbiting, to abstain from harsh or rough speech, to abstain from gossip or idle chatter. We will further come to understand along that same or along the same um, line that not only right speech is important but also right action and right action here refers to refraining from taking life and this includes life of uh, any sentient being and it also refers to refraining from taking what is not given, so stealing, and it further uh, uh, includes refraining from unlawful uh, sexual uh, relations. So, uh, things like uh, uh, adultery. Now, Being well established in virtuous conduct is an important step, and would you say a sufficient step or not, to realize the Dhamma? Not sufficient, obviously not. Would be nice, uh, would be easy that way. Now, when you look at certain of the The sixth, the seventh, and the eighth noble path factors, then here you have a group that collectively is certainly referred to as the so called Samadhi group or Samadhi Kanda, consisting of right certainly effort, Samavayama, right. Mindfulness, satna samasati, and satna then right concentration, samadhi. Sorry, before we go there, I forgot something. (laughs) So, I forgot to mention or elaborate on right satna livelihood. And so, this is also an important aspect. Right livelihood, Venerable Nebiko Bodhi explains, is concerned with ensuring that one earns one's living in a righteous way. For a lay disciple, 
The Buddha teaches that wealth should be gained in accordance with certain standards. One should acquire it only by legal means, not illegally. One should acquire it peacefully, without coercion or violence. One should acquire it honestly, not by trickery or deceit. And one should acquire it in ways which do not entail harm and suffering for others. Now, the Buddha speaks of various livelihoods that are considered unwholesome, immoral, vanija in the Bali, not in the scriptural uh, language. And these comprise dealing in weapons, dealing in living beings, dealing in or yeah, engaging in meat production and butchery, engaging in poisons and in intoxicants. So these are considered, and rightly so, um, immoral, immoral, unwholesome forms of livelihood. And why is this? Because they bring harm to uh, our, bring harm to our fellow human beings. And not just fellow human beings, but also sentient beings. And they also bring harm to those who engage in these activities in the form of accumulating unwholesome, by performing unwholesome deeds and in an unwholesome manner, earning one's sudden livelihood and such unwholesome deeds will bring their unwholesome results. Now, as stated, the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth pathfold or path factors are known as the samadhi group, and those contain major mental factors, vital factors, that are needed for the mindfulness practice, that are needed to eventually realize Satna the Dhamma, and Satna that are needed to gain intuitive understanding that sees things according to reality. Now, by right effort, Samavoyama, are meant the four supreme efforts consisting in avoiding the arising of so far unarisen, unwholesome states, then to abandon unwholesome states which have already arisen in the stream of consciousness, further to arouse so far unarisen wholesome, or to arouse yeah, so far unarisen wholesome mental states, and as the last one, um, the effort towards maintaining wholesome states that have arisen, that are present. Now,
by right sadness mindfulness what does the Buddha mean here how does he explain this in the context of the Four Noble Truths well very simple the four uh, contemplations the four establishments of mindfulness namely Satipatthana so dwelling in the uh, dwelling ardent clearly comprehending and mindful or, or with regard to the body in the body when dwells uh, uh, ardent clearly comprehending mindful having removed covetousness and discontent in regard to the world and then you know, the same thing with regard to you know, contemplating feelings in you know, feelings and certain mind in mind and dhammas in dhammas so that part you know, will be easy you know, for you to relate to now the third path factor Samadhi, in other words, Satna right, Satna concentration, is uh, one of those Satna vital uh, factors for uh, the arising of intuitive Satna wisdom. And uh, here, in the context of the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, the Buddha explains right concentration in terms of fatna, the uh, four absorptions, the four uh, jhanas. Now, having stated it that way, however, does not exclude concentration as is arising in the context of the pasna practice that is you know, being referred to as momentary concentration kanika samadhi in the Pali you know, scriptural language and so in the context of vipassana practice uh, we go uh, with that now Quite naturally, when right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration are present in our own practice in a sustained, continuous manner from moment to moment to moment you know, throughout uh, you know, the waking hours then we are bound to see the true reality of or true nature of formations. In other words, we are bound to gain intuitive wisdom. And in particular, when this process of mental development and this is really what it's all about is accompanied by right certain thought in the Pali scriptural language and with this then the arising of intuitive wisdom that sees the true nature of formations is nothing or in the context of the Eightfold Noble Path is nothing other than the first path factor namely right view in the Pali scriptural language now in the context of you know, the Eightfold Noble Path by right view what is meant here? Right view consisting of four things. We've been talking about these all. Come on, cause and effect. Well, there you go. The four noble truths set themselves. That's it.
So that's certainly the definition of certainly right, certainly view at that point. And certainly that's of course certainly the highest uh, understanding in terms of right certainly view. This does not exclude, however, other forms of uh, earlier uh, understanding of the true nature of formation, such as seeing, discerning mind from matter, and uh, discerning cause from effect, etc. No, discerning cause and effect, etc. Now, the Buddha himself in the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta then relates how um, he gained these four noble truths and he further specified um, how um, yeah, well, how to or in which manner to uh, relate to it. And the Buddha stipulates in that certain same discourse that the first noble truth has to be fully understood, fully, deeply understood. So that's the truth of suffering. When it comes to the second certain noble truth, namely the true noble truth of the origin of suffering, that one has to, and the origin here being craving, that one has to be, what, what do we have to do with that one? What do we have to do with it? Abandon it, that's it. So the craving needs to be abandoned. Now, when it comes to the third noble truth, what is required here? We want to think about it? Yes? It has to be realized. It has to be realized. There you go. It, and realization means we have to experience it for ourselves in a very direct manner. And it certainly this has nothing to do with reading uh, about the experience, nor uh, imagining about what this could all be, uh, could all be about. So the actual realization, and this happens only when a retreatant, when a retreatant, in a systematic manner goes through all of the insight knowledges step by step by step without missing a single one and experiencing each and every insight knowledge in a thorough manner. And one does have to be very careful One retreatants at times are under the uh, impression, and certainly this may turn out to be a false impression, that uh, the Dhamma has already been you know, realized when maybe it's not the case yet. Now, anyways, in terms of certainly the for certain noble truth, this has to be cultivated. And this is said with regard certainly to the Eightfold Noble, or the Noble Eightfold uh, Path. Each of these certain path factors is not, does not refer to something static. So let's say static 
um, level of effort or a permanent level of mindfulness or a permanent level of concentration. We are talking about development, cultivation of these uh, factors. And even in terms of virtuous conduct, ethical conduct, this is something that has to be refined over time. It is not the case that we have perfect mm, ethical conduct right away just by taking the precepts. Now, briefly, going back to the second noble truth. The origin of Fatna suffering is certainly given as craving Dunha. Would you say there could be still a f- that the cause could be mm, described by adding something here? Clinging, craving, clinging. Beyond that, craving is based in what? Wrong view. Wrong view, and differently expressed. A sense of self and attachment. What about ignorance? So, craving. We crave. We cling to informations due to not properly understanding due to our ignorance of those formations. And so it can be said that underlying the craving as the origin of fatness suffering is actually ignorance. Now, The Four Noble Truths can be or have been described as being, as representing the very gist, the absolute gist of the Buddha's teachings. All of the Buddha's teachings, in one way or another, do fit into these four uh, noble truths. And so they are mm, an expression of Fatna, the essences of Fatna, the Buddha's teachings. Now, When we carry out certain of the practice and certain we succeed, we do realize certain of the Dhamma, then the following stanza from the Visuddhimagga starts to make sense. Mere suffering exists, no sufferer is found, the deed is, but no doer of the deed is there. Nibbana is, but not the woman or man that enters it. The path is, but not, but no traveler on it is seen. Now, allow me to conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk on a mindful contemplation of the Four Noble Truths with the following words that are um, inspired by what the Buddha that actually said, namely, the teachings, or the Buddha himself has given the teachings. Uh, 
out of wishing for the welfare and happiness um, and out of certain compassion for nascent beings. There are places to meditate, there are huts, there are meditation halls, there are rooms, etc. There are root of Fatna trees mm, where one can meditate and go and practice and realize the Dhamma um, lest it might be too late. And this is it for the discourse. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.